Welcome home for the holodents to everyone. This is Tales from the Rec Room, where you'd have to be crazy not to be scared. I'm your host, Bree Rohde, now shut up, and who is with me on the line today? Hello, uh, I'm back. Uh, you can't get rid of me, I'm like a, I'm like a bad penny. Uh, it's Michael <laughs> Stevens. You're like a bad penny in that you no longer exist in Canada. Uh, welcome home for the holodens, Mike. Uh, thank you very much for joining on this special week of holiday fun in which we pay tribute to my messiah, Kirsten Dunst. Um, so listeners, this week, and I am serious when I say it might kill me, I will be covering a different Kirsten Dunst movie vehicle every day of the week. Still falling within the confines of Tales from the Rec Room, which is that we have to have first watched this via traditional or physical media. And we're starting out with what might objectively be the worst movie in the bunch, but it feels so very necessary, and that's Small Soldiers. So Mike, like you said, we can't get rid of you. You are a friend of the show, possibly the best friend of the show, although I'm sure you and Liz and Kelsey can fight over that. Um, but you were one of the first people I approached for Home for the Holodunst, and to be honest, I thought I would have to dangle a way better carrot for you than Small soldiers like i of course thought you'd go for spider-man and i even thought you would want bring it on before this but when i suggested small soldiers you really didn't hesitate so can you tell me and everyone else a bit about why you were so willing to as i kind of see it take one for the team with this absolutely um first off i feel like we've missed the perfect opportunity to say let's have a kiki um <laughs> since i've always because uh, i'm pretty sure people call kirsten dunst kiki dunst at least i have for years, maybe I'm. Maybe that's just me. Um, but to be yeah, honest, no, I, uh, I haven't heard of this. Really? Okay. Well, uh, listeners, audience, <laughs> uh, please uh, go back in time to uh, when this was recorded and confirm or deny that she gets called Kiki Dunst because I'm going to call her that several times throughout the, uh, the podcast. Anyway, uh, to answer your question, um, after that circumlocuted beginning, um, the reason why I you think jumped on the brain. I'm picking the best movie. Um, this <laughs> is, uh, I was, I believe, 12 by the time this movie came out because it was a summer release. So I would have already turned 12. And um, this was a big movie. I saw it in theaters um, mm -hmm. probably very shortly after it was released. Um, I can't say that I really knew all that much about it beyond the fact that there was army stuff and yeah. I'm not sure how applicable this was for you, Brie, um, growing up, but army was huge for late gen X and early millennial boys in particular, but in general boys, uh, uh, the army was like huge. That was military stuff was very big. Um, mm -hmm. if you want background for why that is, uh, is because of Ronald Reagan um, and deregulation of um, all sorts of like like toy companies like GI Joe stuff like that started releasing way more military stuff in the eighties because there were there were uh, safeguards in place that were removed that allowed for toy manufacturers to make more gun like things soldier things walkie talkies were huge walkie talkies were enormously big I yeah. loved having walkie talkies. Um, so the notion of a movie that was army men fighting humans, but they're soldiers like that, that was for, for 12 year old me, that, that, that would have been, that would have been great at any time, but, but 12 was also a great time period for that. Yeah, I, I was nine when this came out. Uh, I did also see it in theaters. I just want to say also speaking of, um, 
war and army propaganda being pushed on children. I feel like uh, we'd be remiss to not mention we are recording this shortly after uh, possibly the greatest headline I ever woke up to, which is that Henry Kissinger is dead. Uh, pour one out. I'm drinking my nice little non-alcoholic Mo- Moscow mule. Rest in Pissinger, Henry Kissinger. If you feel differently, you probably don't listen to this podcast. Um, but of course, speaking of uh, people who don't listen to podcasts, no one listens to the end of the episode. So tell us, Mike, and because I'm really not sure if you're still on the bad site, site but uh, tell us where we can find, follow you, and come up with bad faith interpretations of all the things you say online. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I am still on... Uh x formerly twitter as all the journalistic uh pieces <coughs> always have to say because you know you've done a rebrand right when months later people are like no remember it, you might not know what x is because that means anything um but no uh, i am still on 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 twitter uh under the uh handle of uh by mike stevens mm-hmm. uh and i am i am on um blue sky as well which is just mike stevens um although i can't believe site, you were the first I, I, mathematically, you'd think that's impossible, but it's it's also you're you're catching such a small swath of the population. I mean, Blue Sky is wonderful, but it's also kind of quiet. Um, I can't even give away codes. You can you can find me on Twitter and ask me for codes, and I will give you codes. I've got like I've got more than I know what to do with. Um, Hard same, yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, now you already answered one of my questions, which is, did you see this in theaters? But I, of course, am curious to know because you, like me, were a little uh, chubby candy lover. Uh, what at the time were your favorite go-to movie snacks? So if I was at a movie theater, which I was in this case, um, there was, I don't know if they still do. They, surely they, they can't do this post-COVID. But it used to be that at the theaters, you could get like serve yourself candy from like you could just go and like take a scoop, at least at the at least at the Silver City Young and Eglinton to date myself, because I don't think it's still called that. Um, But at the Silver City Young and Eglinton, you could just go and take like a big metal scoop like you would at a bulk barn and put as many gummy worms or whatever you wanted into a bag and then they would weigh it and charge you. And I like that was a mistake so that would have been it wouldn't have been gummy worms necessarily for me it probably would have been uh like sour keys like the mini sour keys were huge i still Mm. love sour keys to this day um and uh so yeah it would have been it would have been something along that line and then like back then i uh i probably would have had full test coca-cola or pepsi products whatever was served there i think coke um i wasn't on like the diet stuff yet and i haven't touched diet cola in years or any cola in years so i was a root beer child i was for a long time a root beer child uh and definitely popcorn um now my first theater uh for the town i lived in until the fifth grade they didn't have these but i am flashing back to i think most like chain cinemas had this do you remember like the kitty combos where you get it in the box and you get like the box of popcorn and a little yeah 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 i know you get like a little bit of and they were terribly priced. I, I can't imagine uh, how bad the price point was and all that stuff on those little like. We realized mathematically that it made so much more sense to buy things individually than the kitty combos. But um, I do think at the time I was probably going through a bit of an M&M's phase because I realized that M&M's were just like Smarties except somehow better. And I couldn't and to this day still can't explain why. Um, so I was probably eating some M&M's as I watched this movie. Um, now, 
you mentioned like every little boy was into into the war war toys and army toys. I will say that somewhat similar in my house, um, my brother was definitely like a toy boy. Um, and I think my parents compensated for the fact that he had no friends um, with buying him a lot of video games and toys. Um, when I run up the estimates on how much my parents spent on every new Nintendo 64 release and every new uh, Beasties or Beast Wars uh piece i i'm just like you know what they don't get to make me feel bad about taking dance classes um but i don't think gi joe and army men were the big thing in my house um a lot of building things connects were huge and then like i said the aforementioned beast wars or beasties as it was in canada i think my brother had every single one um but we were both super into action um and so i like this was made for us. And I think there's a lot of talk about the ratings of this movie. And I think this is where I need to remind uh, listeners again of the Canadian rating system and how different it is because PG-13 doesn't exist in Canada. If something is PG-13, it usually gets downgraded to a PG. And it's only when something is R do you get a 14A and you literally can't enter the theater if you're under 14. Um, But so this was like not something that my parents were aware was like really bad. And my parents were so fine with violence like as as we get into contextualizing the era i feel like (laughs) i need to get this out of the way because like um this was a general thing like um i listeners all know i'm a dance teacher and i've been uh trying to find some kid appropriate like christmas music because we're all doing the christmas dances now i'm sure your son is doing a little christmas dance too and I thought, like, okay, I want to get some different Christmas music. I thought about doing The Night Santa Went Crazy, since Weird Al doesn't curse in his music. And then I listened to it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is so violent. And I forgot how desensitized, uh, to, to use the popular term that I know we, all makes us cringe, 90s kids were so desensitized to violence in comedy. And, like, we think of things getting, like, more PC, whatever you want to say, in terms of representation or language or whatever, but we really do not talk enough about how kids in the 90s fucking loved violence. Oh, 100%. And again, you can blame Ronald Reagan for this and many other things. Um, But, uh, no, there was an expectation, like... There were weird rules. Uh, For example, the old Spider-Man and Batman animated shows from the early 90s, you never see them punch anybody because Mm -hmm. according to the the rules, that would get you a higher rating if you saw a punch. That's why you would always see them like suplex a guy or kick because for some reason, a kick is less violent than a punch. But like, no, you could see, you could wake up at any time of day, turn on YTV or like the Fox affiliate or whatever and watch a cartoon where some guy is going to beat seven shades of shit out of somebody and be like, yep, going to have this with my, with my honey nut Cheerios and then go to school. <laughs> and like, that was normal. And I, you know, I love it personally. I love that stuff. What I really find funny is like, so I was really into Bugs Bunny as a kid. Um, dads love Bugs Bunny. Now that you are a dad times two, how into Bugs Bunny are you? I mean, I was always into, I was always into Bugs Bunny, like going back to being a kid, like on, on mm-hmm. Sunday nights, I think it was, uh, they had the, um, the Looney Tunes, like, oh, Richard, hit the lights. This is it, the night of nights. Uh, I'm not going to do the rest of it. Sorry. Or you're welcome audience, depending on, uh, <laughs> on, on where you fall on that one. But like, I loved, I loved watching that. And no, it, it, it holds up. I mean, you know, you look at the old Mel Blanc stuff, it really holds mm-hmm. up. Um, but that was also pretty violent too. 
Well, um, what I found crazy when I was looking at some of the things I used to watch with my dad and laugh our asses off at is that then you watch an itchy and scratchy short, which was supposed to be this like heightened uh, parody of it. It's not actually that different from the itchy and scratchy stuff. Um, 100%. Yeah. 100%. So another thing before we talk about like the context of the era and everything leading up to this movie, I do want to get this out of the way um, because after rewatching this a couple times for the pod, I've actually ended up going a lot easier on the movie than I thought I would because like this was supposed to be the bad movie of the bunch. And I think when I look at the other movies, unless for some reason you consider bring it on a bad movie in which I would say like that's not even a matter of taste, I'd say that's objectively wrong. Um like, it's not a capital B bad movie. Like, I used to view this on the level of, like, a Batman Forever, kind of. Like, mm. my my roommates, one of my roommates uh, from university, Andrew, who I now kind of refer to as Proto-Mike because he served a similar role in my life that you do. Just, we would occasionally text cynical things about hockey to each other, and that was... That that's my proto Mike friend. Um, but we used to get drunk and irony watch this to laugh at it. And looking back through, maybe it's just that I'm less cynical now or something. I, I don't hate this. You know, you had sent me a text the other day saying, like, I think this might almost be a good movie. It might almost be a good movie. It's it is, it is, it is almost a good movie. There are pacing and I think scope issues that we can get into. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of like uh, again, I don't want to. I don't want to um, uh, trample on 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 your very uh, well planned out format here. But like, <laughs> you can go from anywhere you want to, from in front of or behind the camera, and there is a hell of a lot of talent. Oh my god! Um, yeah, there are some interesting messages that are worth considering. Mm -hmm. It's just it's one of these things. It's one of these things where. Um, you know, some flavors don't go together no matter how good they are. Um, and I think that's sort of the the problem with this with this movie. But it is it is almost good. There is so much to like about this movie. Um, you know, uh, 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 the general like the CG is actually pretty good for a 1998 movie. Surprising. I still find it very difficult to look at CG and judge it by 90, 1998 standards, but I will say that it's pretty easy to put myself back in the mind of nine-year-old Brie and think that I did think that was cool as shit. So, and and that's uh, who the movie ended up being made for. Now, I, I think pretty much everyone knows now that that wasn't Joe Dante's original intention, that he did mm -hmm. intend to make a much more adult movie. The sponsors t came in when... When I became aware of that, I, I forget what scene it was now, but there is a scene where there's a six pack of Coca-Cola cans just fucking biting you in the face. And I'm just like, oh, wow. Like, it, it's funny. faced out just the way they need to be. Oh, yeah. And like, how, but how many people were watching this movie and be like, tonight I will buy the Coca-Cola? I don't know. Uh, I mean, but it was, but it was, that was an extra $150,000 that they were <laughs> able to, to get to make the movie like that. That's, it comes down to as simple as that. Yeah. So speaking of Joe Dante, I thought I was going to be able to say like, Hey, this is Joe Dante's big return to movies after the new batch, but it turns out something called the matinee exists. And like John Goodman is in it, but I am just so not aware of this. I'm like, you tend to know about every movie on the planet. So am I just uncultured swine for not knowing about this movie? No, this is so. Yes and no. Uh, it depends on what <laughs> channels you had, because um, like on early TBS, did that, not have the matinee played. Yeah, 
um the matinee played because like john goodman i would have been i was like flipping around the dial at age 11 or 12 or whatever and like there was a john goodman movie on and i'm like oh the guy from like dan from roseanne is (laughs) is is on there what's what what's up um uh and so i i'd watched bits and pieces of it i had no idea that it was it was joe dante it's i have seen it in full as an adult because i do really like joe dante especially gremlins gremlins 2 and the burbs the burbs Mm -hmm. is an amazing movie um Mm -hmm. uh not to say that gremlins and gremlins 2 aren't but you know, it, it, he has a sense of humor to him that comes across in the matinee. It's a, it's a funny movie. I, I, I would say give it a give it a, a, a watch. Um, but no, you I you would be forgiven. It is probably his, you know, fourth or fifth best well known movie, um, and that means that you're not necessarily going to know about it. Is it because we associate Joe Dante with like a very specific genre or subgenre that it's kind of one of those M Night Shyamalan wrote she's all that type of things? Like people might know the movie, but they don't think of it as a Joe Dante movie. Like, I think there's an element of that. I think it's also um, it was unlike some of his other films that were critically well liked but commercially not successful. This movie was commercially not successful. Um, and like, yes, some critics, I think held it in high regard, but it didn't have the cult following like gremlins and gremlins too, especially has a cult following to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there's like, there, there's people who deeply care about that movie and creates a subculture all its own. Um, whereas this one didn't, it didn't have that stickiness. It didn't have, uh, uh, uh it has a lot of the touchstones of a Dante film, but it's not everything. This is going to make you change your perception of me probably the same way it changed when I told you I've never been to an NHL game, but um, I've never seen Gremlins 2. Oh, you really should watch it. You really, really should watch it. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, I'm assuming yes, because you were 12 when this movie came out, but you were aware of and a fan of Gremlins prior to this movie coming out, correct? Yes. And again, because I was 12 and dumb, I had no idea that... Joe Dante was the director of, I, I, I barely knew, other than like, say, Steven Spielberg, I barely knew who directors were at age 12. Like, I can't, I'm not going to go and pretend that like, I knew who everybody was in, mm-hmm. at that time. Um, I barely knew my cousin's names back then. I like, barely know my cousin's kids' names now. So, um, <laughs> you know, but, but uh, Gremlins is up there. The original Gremlins is part of that 80s movie zeitgeist in with, you know, your E.T., your Terminator, obviously different genres of film. But like, it's just like, yeah, you watched that movie. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street would be another example of that, mm-hmm. of just like there is this there's sort of this thing of like, if you had an older cousin or a friend whose parents were negligent, you would at a young age in the early 90s have watched Gremlins. You know, the first time I watched Gremlins, it was actually on TV. Uh, and so there was a lot cut out. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I think like my parents were only vaguely aware of gremlins and they're like, oh yeah, you can, you can rent it and watch the full thing. It's a cute movie. Um, good for them. (laughs) You know, they're, they're, they're not wrong entirely. There are some very cute elements to it. But uh, for me, though, I actually believe I watched Gremlins for the first time after Small Soldiers, probably shortly after. But it's weird, like, 
as much as having older siblings really got me into like a lot of TV shows early, um, my siblings were not into movies at all. And so there were like most of the inappropriate movies that I saw at an early age were like from friends and stuff. So um, but that said, like when when you actually look back as an adult and you know who Joe Dante is, you're like, oh, this is such a Joe Dante movie. And like He's not a subtle director. Um, I don't think you have to be a subtle director, especially for a movie like this. But like the the irony of all this is like this movie was Joe Dante's chance to soapbox about violent children's toys. I think beyond violence alone, like military propaganda in, in children's toys. Um, this aged terribly in the sense of just some of the things like, um, I mean, there's the fact that Phil Hartman, this is his last role. Phil Hartman was shot to death before the movie came out i want to say because he was shot in may um but then also like i feel like i kind of didn't realize this until i heard the name of one of the characters and then i looked it up because um months after kip kinkle just this was just months after kip kinkle's killing spree at his home and school I forgot that there is a character in this extremely violent movie named Kip Killigan. And this is Mm -hmm. probably ignorant because three months is surely not enough time to do this. I don't know enough about film production, but this is like 90% voice work. And I'm pretty sure there's only like two utterances of this name. So I say like, you got to go in and redub that dude with a different name. Halt distribution of the action figures until you get the name changed. Holy shit. Um, I will also say, um, if you want a really long, challenging, and amazing read, read the HuffPost feature, Kip Kinkle is Ready to Speak. It's the only interview he's given since his conviction. Really, really changed a lot of my perspective on, uh, well, I mean, just the juvenile uh, juvenile uh, justice system. But um, yeah, like, the, even things like, the character of Alan, who, like, <laughs> if, I, if I'm just letting my personal feelings, I think one of the, the one of the weak spots of this movie is Alan. 100%. 100%. I, like, now, d- make no mistake, nine-year-old me thought Gregory Smith could get it. Um, but he's... In, it, in this case, being a, what, a hand-holding? Uh... <laughs> I did. I do recall kind of thinking, maybe not upon first viewing, but when I watched it still when I was younger, thinking Kirsten Dunst's character is way too good for him. Um, he's just a little weenie. Um, I would never, ever believe that this kid would like get in trouble at all. Like, and then... But then the fact that they're so flippant about like, oh yeah, like the final straw was that it called a bomb threat into my school. I'm like, you should be expelled for that. It's not that, like, your parents don't trust you after you called in a fucking bomb threat to your school? Like. Yeah, I, I, I mean, my, my parents didn't trust me after I didn't turn in some homework when I was in yeah. high school. So yeah, like if I had called in a bomb threat, I'm pretty sure like uh, they, I wouldn't be talking to them now. So no, I mean, there was an element there is an innocence I guess there's simultaneously because you are talking about like the poorly aged things and like, yeah, there's violent elements to this and like, yeah, calling it a bomb threat super serious. Mm-hmm. There was an innocence in the 90s because things were good. Yeah. Communism had been defeated. The economy was good. If you, know, you look at all the jokes, Spice Girls. It, especially on The Simpsons, but on other TV shows that we watch, there were so many jokes in the 90s about how the military doesn't do anything. Because, like, mm-hmm. it was a peaceful time. And when I say this aged poorly, I don't think it was because of any conscious decisions Joe Dante made. It's just because it came out in a context of 
yikes, 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 worst case scenario, everything out of their control. And then, and then also the world did get worse. I mean, yes. there's, I, you know, I, I, I hate to say, it. you know, to um, unfortunately pimp out another podcast uh, for a minute. Um, and this is going to, this is actually going to be hard. Is it going to be another like, gamefully unemployed? Uh, it is. Because yes! on, so on center stage, I had them, I, I commissioned for uh, my wife an episode on, on the movie center stage, which you have since talked about with Rachel they have this line when they were watching the movie, they, these guys, and, and they're a wonderful podcast, yada, yada, you can go and find them gamefully unemployed, yada, yada, yada. Um, but they had this great line of how this movie was, what, it was 1999 or 2000 when it came out. Mm-hmm. And they're going around New York having all this fun. And there's this line on the podcast where they're like, 9-11's never going to happen. <laughs> there's an element of small soldiers of like, Columbine's never going to happen or like nine eleven's never going to like, there is this innocence to, yeah, no, like calling it a bomb threat in no way is that like his parents were right to do that. He should have been seeing a child psychologist. Like he, you know, maybe should be accounted for at all hours of the day. But it's also during a time when you could use bomb threat as a throwaway line. Like that's, I think that's kind of what you're getting at is you could make a flippant joke about bomb threats because children weren't like experiencing bomb threats in the second grade. Well, and they were also, I mean, there's even a line in the movie about like going postal, which of course was like referencing the sort of spate of uh, uh, American postal service workers shooting up the place or whatever. And like, there was sort of a, a lack of sensitivity to the darkness that existed slightly behind you know, like the, the gossamer of, of, of the world at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, uh, we're talking about like the violence in the movie and the violence in the movie was controversial. I think just also, I mean, was it actually controversial with critics or, I mean, I think it was more just that like, yeah, Joe Dante was unhappy that he had to tone it down. He's expressed being really unhappy with how he felt limited with the movie, but like, Let's face it, this was still a violent war movie targeted at kids with Burger King toy tie-ins. Mm-hmm. I think there was somewhat of a moral panic around children and violent content at the time because we were living in a, not post, but like post the first generation of Power Rangers. And there was such a moral panic around Power Rangers. Like, So I think the difference is the violence is much like the soldiers themselves, small. Because it's like he's getting like a tiny little knife stabbed into him that would be like a paper cut but that's still Mm. fucked up that like a toy stabs you like there's a whole simpsons episode that plays it for last but like you know like that's bad he gets shot with the corn cob holders too like the doll's trying to kill me the poster's been laughing at me um i love that i love that um, delivery it's i um i came when i got my pretzel tattoo i came very very close to getting the crusty uh good evil switch instead um Mm. but then someone else claimed Mm. it um, but I, so I actually do want to know what Dante's more violent vision was, because actually I find that a lot of the violence left in this works, like, even though it's toned down, like you said, there's a lot of hand trauma, which I, and there is, yeah. Um, and it's one of like, I don't know if this is like a capital T trope, but it's my personal favorite trope, which is here's how badly a tiny household object can hurt you. Um, mm-hmm. I always think that the little, I, I forget what it's called, but the tiny little circular saw at the beginning and in, in the kitchen when that slices Alan's hand. Um, 
then yeah, the corn cob holder um, at the end when he's up on the up on the hydro pole, uh, like Chip, Major Chip Hazard just stabs him. Like there's a lot of really realistic hand trauma, and it's always like here's this tiny household object and it's wrath. Like this is also why I love the Final Destination movies. Mm-hmm. No, it's uh, this isn't hand based, but also like the nail gun, like Gatling gun mm, that they basically yep. make. That shoots the dad. The dad gets hit with a bunch of nails. That guy can't ever walk through airport security ever again. <laughs> Although 9-11 hasn't happened yet. So, I mean, he actually can. So it'll be fine. But, like, afterwards, he's going to go beeping off for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, um, I I, I don't, I wasn't cognizant of any moral panic at the time. Mind you, I was nine. So maybe I, and the other thing is I didn't. I feel like I missed a lot of parental moral panics when I was a kid because my parents were so not like that. Like, they weren't great parents in other senses of the word, but, like, if they found out that a kid couldn't watch Simpsons, my they would kind of private be like, privately be like, well, that kid's a real wiener, you know? Like, no. um, yeah, so... But I feel like when I look at the context of the era, I just want to talk about the effects and stuff because I I... Maybe I'm less generous of the effects than you are. Like this was a this was still a great time for practical effects and puppetry, but there was kind of the shiny new object syndrome of CGI. And that's why like early CGI has aged poorly in that sense, because of course everyone wanted to use it. And like there has to be a guinea pig. There has there have to be like kind of the first use cases. But like Stan Winston and his team did amazing work with these puppets. And I was not aware of the work of Stan Winston prior to this. Mm-hmm. Um prior to like Again, I was nine. Um, But I think as a kid, I didn't appreciate the difference between practical and CGI because we were just coming off Toy Story. Like, that's another big thing. Like, I think a lot of people got out to it because like, hey, remember Toy Story? What if it was an action movie? Um, So I was probably like, why don't they just animate the whole thing? Make the whole thing animated. I don't care about the humans. I I think if Dante wanted this to appeal to teens as his original video, I think he should have stuck more to the puppets. Like he did go with CGI because ultimately it was cheaper and easier. But I'll admit that I'm a sucker for puppets even like as an adult. Oh, this is not the, this is not, I mean, like, Stan Winston is one of the most respected sort of creature creators out there with puppetry. Um, uh, And this is not to discredit any of his work because, like, well, I mean, what, Jurassic Park? Uh, I'm not gonna, Mm -hmm. I I, I literally can't say anything bad about that movie except for the fact that I'm not watching it right now. Um, (laughs) uh, So, I mean, like, the, you know, uh, his, his work is unimpeachable. Um... I'm okay. I actually like the CG a little bit because it, I guess because they're toys, I can go with it. Like I can, I can just let it be like, I'm, I'm, I'm able to um, have not the cognitive dissonance, but have like the aesthetic distance on it Mm -hmm. that allows me to be like, yeah, whatever. They're toys. They're evil. It works. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't, I don't mind it. it. It does not in any way, you know, I mean like the animated actors are well in some cases better than the real live ones so uh you know in i'm not i'm not gonna and and they do hide it in some ways because like obviously those little contraptions they make like especially the fight scene like the the last battle at the end all those little like the you know the the the, the flaming tennis ball launcher and like the chainsaw skateboard and all that cool mm-hmm. stuff oh god that's why this movie rules chainsaw <laughs> skateboard um that's why this is almost a good movie because it's fucking great um but like <laughs> No, it, come on. I was it 12. Is. Chainsaw Skateboard is cool. That is 
extreme with a very big X. I'm making an X audience <laughs> who can't see me with my hands. <laughs> um, that stuff's all practical. So like they did find ways to hide stuff. Yes, there's yes, there's moments when you get, especially when you get some close-ups on things. I actually think they used like they used every piece of the elephant as they could with the puppets or or in some cases dolls. Like, you know, mm -hmm. the, like the scene with Alan and Archer in his room, when he's holding him, he's holding this like 16-inch tall doll. Like this thing is huge and it's real. Some of it, mm -hmm. sometimes it's real. Now, of course, he starts talking and then, and then it's, it's what, it's Frank Langella and it's it's not, you know, it's, it's all animated. But like, they used enough practical effects. And you know who would know about doing a mixture of practical and CG to success is Stan Winston mm -hmm. of Jurassic Park fame. Um, there are moments where it's, it's real enough. So you get that verisimilitude that like, I think just works for the, the movie. I, I, I have no problem with with the CG. Obviously, it doesn't. It's not perfect. Mm -hmm. There was only one thing that, and I, you can't even really blame the CG for this. Just something about um, the cinematography in general. And maybe you didn't find this at all, and I'm just completely making this up. But I remembered as I was watching this that I thought this as a kid too. There's something about the way the wider action shots are, especially like in the last little bit when you've got like the full truckload of commando elites coming out. I feel like throughout the movie, something about the way a lot of these shots are, I have very inconsistent ideas of how large the toys are supposed to be. That's, you know what, that's fair. Sometimes um, they look smaller than Barbies and then other times they look like uh, as long as my forearm. Well, and I think part of the problem there is because, like, again, like if you like, if you look at the uh, you know you go back to the scene, especially when when Alan's taking Archer out of the uh, out of the backpack and and mm -hmm. you have that you know you use the line of uh, now shut up, um, mm -hmm. uh, that thing is fucking huge. Like that thing is that thing's like a, a Stretch Armstrong sized toy. Like that is a big toy. It's not like your classic sort of five inch GI Joe or like your like eight inch Spider Man toys um mm -hmm. uh like that thing is that thing is huge and then occasionally in the you are right in those wides they're not much bigger than like the skateboard chainsaw which kicks ass so like there is there is there is that element um i did want to say because i was actually thinking of this while i was going off about how cool uh some of the some of the uh, uh vehicle designs were i think you're you are right, though, that if you had made it more for teens, yes, it being puppets would work better because it's more like Chucky. It's more like Megan, frankly. <laughs> yes. Um, although, actually, if you want to talk about a movie that doesn't go far enough in its violence, Megan. I agree. I agree very much. Um, um, yeah. So you mentioned cast and uh, voice cast. I feel like this was my intro to a lot of really wonderful voice actors. If I really think about it, I think this was the first thing that I ever like saw or heard Michael McKeon and, um, but I Mandela affected myself into thinking that one of the supporting Gorgonites was voiced by uh, Jean-Luc Picard himself, Sir Patrick Stewart. What? Oh. I don't know why I thought that. He did do a voice in like a kid's movie we loved, right? I'm not insane for I that. I almost, almost certainly. Um, yeah. I mean, he was the poop in the emoji movie. Oh, um, Jesus fucking he Christ. He really had, 
because he clearly had a granddaughter that needed braces or something. Um, <laughs> uh, I always, anytime you see, anytime you see an actor past the age of 60 in a role where you're like, good Lord, like you're better than this. It, I always assume that like, it's either divorce or, you know, grandkid needs to go to, I don't know, a prep school like Choate or something like that. Mm -hmm. Cummings Academy I or something. I have to wonder, like, what was in it for Harry Shearer, because by this point, Harry Shearer was such a grumpy old... He was, this was at the point where he was constantly trying to quit The Simpsons. And um, so I, I... Yeah, I wonder who dangled the carrots. Um, uh, I have, have to also ask you, did you... You might have been too old for it at the time. Did you have any of the Small Soldiers toys or action figures? So, no, I didn't. Um... And not for want of trying. It's just that I was sort of like, um, I think it was a situation of like, it it came out in, again, I want to say July. So it already had my birthday by that point. Mm -hmm. um, and then by Christmas, there would have been something like, I, I like I want to say N64 would have been out by then. And so I would have wanted something. Definitely. I would have wanted a video game. Um, I would have wanted a video game and they'd be like, okay, well, you can either get Rogue Squadron or you can get this toy. Like, well, I want Rogue Squadron, you know, like yeah. I want, I want like the, you know, I want the video game that does something else for me. Right. So. I forgot this until, um, until I saw it again this week that I had a slam fist and I'm guessing I got him for Christmas because uh, where I lived, uh, the theater had only one screen. And so we tended to get movies about a month to two months late. It was almost at the home release window uh, by the time we would get them, unless it was like a big event movie like Titanic or something. Um, so I saw it more like, you know, went in the fall. And so it was still a very fresh memory for me. And I loved my slam fist. Like I... Even at a young age, like this is when I was starting to develop, like I liked the ugly things, you know, I loved the hunchback of Notre Dame um, when uh, like this was a precursor to me being a teenager and liking like the ugly dolls and the homemade, like very scrappy looking uh, stuffed animals and stuff like that. Um, so which is funny because when I look back, I wanted to like this this week watching it i just wanted to snap slam fist in half um i don't i guess i don't like lovable oaf characters anymore um which is fun because i'm growing into quite a lovable oaf myself see i was gonna go a different way and be like but you're married to one so oh. there, we, there we he's 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 lovable he's not an oaf speaking um, of lovable oaf uh mitch marner hat trick watch um well really hey good for him yeah, he heard earn, everyone earn, talking earn, shit. Earn that, that money, yeah, yeah. No, all right. He's gonna ask for thirteen million dollars uh, on his next contract, and he's not gonna live up to it. Anyway, don't worry um, about it. Uh, to go to your um, uh, Harry Shearer comment, I, I think the reason why they got him is that I yeah, think McKeon. that well, they had all of Spinal Tap, right? Like yeah. they like that's the big like the big the big deal. One of the really cool things is because this would have been way before I would have watched Spinal Tap. My mm. uh, my only knowledge yes. of what Spinal Tap would have been would have been from The Simpsons itself. Yes. Um. But and I I think this is a, a cool thing of why we have such a wonderful voice cast, but also what leads to or ladders up to one of the bigger problems of the movie mm -hmm. is. Because you you have all of Spinal Tap there, and then you have what five or six members of the Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen, yeah. And, and can a nine year old or even a twelve year old appreciate that? So you know? 
I would have been familiar again because of of um, uh, having television channels like the History Network. Mm-hmm. I would have watched parts of, and also probably on TBS too, things like The Great Escape, things like The Dirty Dozen. Um, you know, my my dad would always like to be like, "Oh, Charles Bronson is the only actor to escape from both movies." Like, Isn't he the only actor in both of those movies? Anyway, mm-hmm. um, but uh, 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 those are those are really cool gets that are trying to build to a wonderful pastiche. But like, was there a point to having Spinal Tap in the movie? Was there a point to having the Dirty Dozen in the movie? Not really. For for the dads watching, I guess. Like, And that's what I think. And that's what I think it must be is that it is for the dads watching, assuming, assuming they know and care that much. But the whole problem is, is that this movie is, and I, I said it earlier, it's it's scope creep. It's like, all right, so we're gonna make we're gonna make basically the Terminator, but also Gremlins, but also Chucky. For some reason, the Dirty Dozen are in the movie, and uh, also for some reason, Spinal Taps in the movie. Mm-hmm. There's a teen love, uh, there's a teen love arc. Uh, Dennis Leary is here as well, and and Jay I Moore. have to say. Dennis Leary and Jay Moore are so perfectly cast, though. Oh, they are. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I just wish I just wish that the actor playing Alan's dad got a better punch off. He's standing flat footed. That punch would have done no damage. Jay Moore is bitch made for falling down <laughs> like that from a punch that that was not well thrown. That was like. Uh, uh, I punch better than that. And I am not a fighter. No. Yeah. Um, so, but we're as we're talking about the human actors, I just have to say, I mean, everyone in front of the camera, brilliant. I have a whole section to talk about the Dunst of actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep forgetting the name of the actress who plays Alan's mother because, to be honest, I don't. I kind of forget who she is when she's not on screen. But she could get it, um, frankly. Uh, but also, um, <laughs> this is a very specific thing. You know the tone of voice that David Cross uses in Arrested Development when um, he's playing Mrs. Featherbottom and Michael addresses him as Tobias. He goes, it is me. It's Tobias. That's the tone of voice he's using throughout this entire movie. Like, I love David Cross. He is not a good actor. <laughs> like, he's no, funny. He's actually- just not a good actor. Yeah, no, I, I that was actually something that I wanted to I wanted to say of, of of laddering up to the idea of it's almost a good movie. One of the best sequences in the film is when David Cross finally sees the Gorgonites and mm. um is is like, you're all here. And then one of the one of the Gorgonites is like, everybody's Everyone going has somewhere. To be somewhere. Somewhere. And then he's like, that's fine, that's that's what my mom and then he realizes. Man, if a, if an actual actor had delivered that line, mm-hmm. would have been an amazing scene. This is what I talk about of of almost a good movie because mm-hmm. on the page, well written, great concept, just David Cross doesn't have the chops to deliver that joyful wonder of like he's he's good for the few comedic beats that he has. He's not a serious enough person. No. Or not even seriously, an, an earnest enough person to deliver that line in a way that would work for me. Uh, no disrespect. I mean, like it, you know, I, I I hate to say, you know, who actually would have done a better job? Maybe not at the time, but you know who would have done a better job is Bob Odenkirk. Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk yes! would have been able to deliver that perfectly. He would have had that spot on perfect. Of like, oh, my mom yeah. used to say, it would have been, it would have been perfect. So, yeah. you know, even this like- is a movie with... 
So I have seen the movie The Butterfly Effect more times than I care to admit. Always on dates. Always on dates. Um, guys always, for some reason, think they're showing you something when they show you that movie. Um, but um, That's unhealthy. I know. Oh, one guy insisted that I watch the version where he kills himself in the womb. Um, in the womb, he chokes himself with the umbilical cord. I fucking lo- That's the only version to watch. Not that you should watch that movie. <laughs> no, but um, what I found about Ashton Kutcher in that movie is there's a quality to him his acting where he's trying so hard to be serious and it's like he's holding in laughter the whole time that's how i feel about david Cro- like when he does the line like you put munition chips in toys and it's like it's so broad it's like just because this is technically a kids movie it doesn't have to be so broad like i don't know i like david cross he is tobias funke and he's a stand-up comedian and that's it uh, I will. I I mostly agree with you. He's great in a small cameo role in the um, HBO miniseries uh, Station Eleven. He's uh, he's in he's in an episode. Highly advise everyone to watch Station Eleven. Um, I don't want to tell you anything other than that. It's a great. Okay. It's a fantastic. It's a fantastic, fantastic show. It is. I think ten episodes. It is worth watching. One of the episodes is basically. Um, probably one of the best representations I've ever seen of someone trying to acknowledge, understand, and heal from childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's beautiful. It, it is it is absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, highly advise it. He's good in that. He's a good actor in that one episode. So cool. I I believe you. Um. So yeah. Like I mean, there's. There's a few other actors we got to mention. Phil Hartman. And when I think of like, because of course, like I, I was at the time familiar with Phil Hartman more from The Simpsons than SNL because I didn't watch SNL as a nine-year-old. Um, I'd say like, you know, he had the most recognizable voice. I just found out he was from Brantford. I kind of kept forgetting he was Canadian anyway. But I just, like, Brantford is right next to where I live. Like, that's, um, apparently there is a bust of Phil Hartman in downtown Brantford somewhere. I, I gotta go find hmm. that. Um, but, you know, he has that instantly recognizable voice. So, of course, I got so excited in the air. Like, oh my god, it's Charlie McClure! I have to say, he's at his Lyle Landliest in this role. He is so oh, good so at slimy. playing a smug asshole. The absolute best line from anyone in this movie is him. Like, and it's, he's kind of like off screen out of focus. He says it. I think World War II is my favorite war. My favorite. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes, that is the best line. That is that is the best line probably in the whole movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, I had that written down when it when it uh, when it came up when I was watching it earlier this week. Um, I wanted to say two things about his character because there's, or I guess like one main thing and, and then a, a, a slightly smaller element of it is that line of, uh, I think World War II is my favorite war. There is a weird amount, and I know it's a movie about soldiers. There is a weird focus on the Second World War in particular. Um, like they're, they're obviously watching that stuff. There's, there's the... Um, Oh, Christina Ricci and Sarah Michelle Geller as the Gwendy dolls uh, have that joke of it's the Baton Death March, which yes. is referencing the Baton Death March, which is like a really grim joke. It's actually, actually a very dark joke that I I quite I quite appreciate that they had uh, uh, like a teenage they had two teenage starlets saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then, like, when uh, Archer's looking through in Carta and he's learning about, like, all the hurt science in the world or whatever, uh, uh, he's he, there, there's a picture of Hitler in there. And I'm like, God damn, there is a real... And, like, I know this has a has huge anti-war elements, but, like, there is a... there. There is a huge focus on 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 World War II specifically, so maybe it's Joe Dante's favorite war movie too, or war, war movie war uh, favorite war as well. Um, the other big thing I'd say about uh, Phil Hartman's character is they use this movie is full of Chekhov's guns. Um, I'm sure the audience is very smart and brilliant and beautiful and knows what a Chekhov's gun is, but for those who just it's I don't a know, gun from a nap. Yes, it is a gun, but it is something that uh, uh, if you if you show a gun on screen in the first act, it better get fired by the third act. And mm-hmm. they do a great job with um, with Phil. All his his, his yeah. all of his tech. Phil Fimple, great name. Yeah. Phil Fimple, yes, but all of his tech, yes. But what they also do is when he's they're installing the satellite at the beginning, he's like, "Hi, yeah," because of the axial tilt of the, the the planet and the cloud. And he goes he goes on and he has this very scientific knowledge of why the satellite won't work unless they chop down the tree. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and uses the chainsaw, which gets part of the fucking chainsaw skateboard, which whips ass. <laughs> but that comes back later with the EMP. His character is not just the funniest part of the movie. It's also one of the most useful elements of describing why all of these things happen like there's there is a great there is a great setup and payoff and and so again part of what ladders up to this idea of almost a good movie is this thing this movie is littered with Chekhov's guns um there are all sorts of things that are mentioned in the first act that are going to come back later um before Alan gets his hand cut by that little uh circular saw thing that tiny little one Mm -hmm. um uh, uh Alan's dad uh, asks him, so like, what you traded, you you sold um, my tools, my, wood, my power tools, all yeah. my woodworking tools to buy the Commando Elite, and he's like, no, okay, well then where the fuck did they go? They went to the Commando Elite, who are going to use them on you in like a minute, mm-hmm. and so there's stuff, there's there's so many little pieces like that, the boat having to be reconstructed, all of the that. Gwendy dolls, like. The Gwendy yeah. dolls, everything is set up and paid off. And that's a hallmark of a well-written movie on a technical level. Maybe not necessarily on an artistic level, but you're going to set something up. Uh, 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 there's plenty of movies that will do this. Um, but a good a good movie will, if, if you're going to show something, it's got to matter. Horror movies are the best for this. Horror movies usually involve something early on that's going to matter super 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 big later on in the movie um mm-hmm. you know and that's that's that, that that's one of the hallmarks of this movie being very good and phil hartman is an entire character that is a gun mm-hmm. so you know unfortunate unfortunate uh gun um uh so now we've come to the most important cast member, at least for the purposes of this episode. Um, we're foregoing our typical section on the modern equivalent because also, is there a modern equivalent of small soldiers? Although, like you mentioned, Megan might be. Megan. Megan Megan yeah. is the closest you could get. Yep. Yeah, they're good. No discourse. Um, let's talk about Kirsten Dunst in the movie. Let's talk about the Kiki factor. Because um, when I really think I of it. I want to have a Kiki. 
<laughs> Kirsten Dunst is probably one of the most successful and smooth transitions out of Child Star um, because I actually think her transitionary stage, the movie she was doing during that transition, are so perfect. And a lot of the movies that we're covering on Home for the Hall of Dunst are going through that transition. Um, and this movie serves as proof as to like why and how she did it. Um, it's quite funny because even though Dunst is and always has been very cute and had a very all-American girl look, there's something about her that is so smart and slightly manic energy um, that I think has always helped her play roles of like people who are very competent, um, like girls, young girls and teenage girls who are very competent. This is basically a more badass version of who she was in Jumanji just a couple years earlier, which I also loved. Came very close to doing, doing Jumanji and somehow Robin Williams felt more depressing than Phil Hartman. Oh yeah, that's a, that, that is a pick your poison. Uh, this is... You know what? This is a deep cut. Everyone knows Jumanji. This is a, yeah. this is a deep cut. This is for the real the real dunst heads. Well, and I will also say Jumanji is a movie that a lot of millennials aren't willing to admit is bad. Um, and Small Soldiers is a movie that I think we're determining a lot of millennials aren't willing to admit is almost good. Um, but yeah, she she does a lot of like very specific acting through the tones of her voice, her facial expressions uh, that make her characters, even poorer written characters, very fully formed and likable. Like um, it just goes to show that you can have blonde hair and blue eyes and still be complex, which I think is great news for you, Mike. Someone's got to have it. <laughs> um, like I, I see a lot of precursor to um, Mary Jane Watson in the way she acts in this. Um, like she doesn't always play characters who are kind of a badass, but she is great at that. Christy Fimple, like she has a little psycho in her. You can tell, like she's enjoying killing the Gwendies and stuff just a little too much. <laughs> so I think I mentioned earlier that this movie has elements of Terminator in it. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, because that's part of the thing. There, there, actually, there's so many. The, this movie is littered with references, um, mm -hmm. like Apocalypse Now, Patton. Um, speaking of World War Two, um, yeah. uh, uh, all sorts of stuff. But but one of the things is that at times she's the Terminator. Mm -hmm. Yes, Chip Hazard would be more like the Terminator, but no, like she's the Terminator in Terminator Two, in that she's the one who's who's. Uh, you know, driving the moped and has sort of the no, no, and 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 well, and she Alan literally is... riding mowers over these things. Like she is yes. just unstoppable. Yes, she is an unstoppable robot killing machine. Um, also, the guy that plays Alan is a is very much a poor man's Edward Furlong. Uh, oh, totally. To the, like, like, yeah, just going up to the to the like, especially with the crybaby bangs, like the, the those nineties boy bangs called the mm -hmm. the crybabies. Uh, um, they they sit in the barber chair and they say, "Give me the sawa." Yeah, there you go. Um, that's what Death said in five. Well, actually, only one movie, I guess. Anyway, no, but back to back to our our good friend Kiki. Um, I would say that this movie is like you sort of want like a ranking or where she is. I think she is way better in this movie than in all the Spider Mans. I find her very wooden in in Spider Mans one and two, especially. Um, but that might be a writing factor. Um, uh, I think she's a much more interesting, like she's kind of cute in her flirting. Like, I only date older guys, but if I were to, to not date an older guy, mm. like there's, there's this very playful element that would like, that would drive the boys crazy, but that's mm. also like, she's empowered. Like she knows she, there, there's a confidence to her character. Um, although there is the, normally the, um, 
uh, you know, a major red flag of, of Alan being like, you're not like, you're not like other girls. Ah! I think that might, that might be the first time that's ever been said in a movie. I'm not sure. Um, Cause it's right after she's like, I like Led Zeppelin and I hate the which, show that everyone likes. Which, boy, oh. I, oh How yeah, much money did they spend to get Led Zeppelin's music in this movie? At the time? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you think about it like um, Cashmere was being used in the Godzilla film. I'm, I'm wondering if uh, I'm wondering if uh, Jimmy they Page They were doped up or dying or something. Jimmy Page had a granddaughter that needed braces. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but... Um, no, I mean, anytime you hear, like, I love, you see this in so many movies, especially in the 90s, but so many movies. Anytime the love interest girl is like, actually, no, I like Led Zeppelin or ACDC or whatever the director likes. Like, that's what it is. <laughs> is it's, it's, it's so, it's so like, I, I, I'm not like other girls. I like specifically all of the things that the person who is making me say these lines either wrote or, or, or like commanded me to direct, like to act in this way. Like it, it's, it just feels so, especially as an adult. Male gazy. It's male gazy. Yeah. It's very male gazy. And it's, and it's also like there's power dynamics. Stuff. So regardless, I would say that this movie is, um, uh, better than Jumanji in terms of her acting. Uh, I would say it's it's better than Spider-Man. Goes without saying, I don't really like her character in Spider-Man. Um, I think it's more similar in some ways to bring it on. Different characters, obviously. Uh, honestly, this is this a lot of ways might be one of her better roles, especially from that age. I mean, yeah, obviously, Interview with the Vampire sort of like takes the cake. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like, yeah, I, I think... During this stage, like, I kind of look at her transition from uh, kids stuff to now. Like, this was the same year she did Drop Dead Gorgeous, Um, which, oh, we're doing Drop Dead Gorgeous with with good old Kelsey Goldman. Um, I will give that a listen right away. Yay. Um, And and she seems like such different people in in those, because, like, her character in Drop Dead Gorgeous is so full of hope and twinkle in her eye and the like unshakable um and you know by the end you do kind of see her like take a level in cynicism but then at the end like hope wins um but like see i i actually love her in spider-man i think i think similar to how i feel about this movie um Mary Jane, I've never, I've never liked the character of Mary Jane. I've always been a Gwen Stacy girl because I just think Gwen Stacy was written to be more interesting and Mary Jane was written to be a girl. But I think Kirsten, I think Kirsten Dunst, um, because I just think she's a very skilled actor, she's very charming, she brings a lot of pathos to even the most simple roles. Um, I think she makes Mary Jane a lot more interesting and a lot more full of angst than she actually is. Like I see a lot of the same things she does in The Virgin Suicides in Mary Jane. Similarly, like, you know, she is written in Small Soldiers to be just kind of a not like other girls, girl projection of the girls that, you you know, every director and writer wanted when they were 12 years old. Um, and there, and so she is a male gazy character and yet she still feels fully formed. And I think I chalk a lot of that up to Dunst's performance. And I do think there are elements of Christy Fimple that are well-written, but just like the way she just looks at him goes, I know, like it, that line could have been way worse. And she kind of saves it because she's just so fucking charming, you know? 
No, she's she's she she has more emotional range than any other character. I mean, that's not a that's sort of a small hurdle to climb, but like mm-hmm. she has to play scared, she has to play smart, she has to play flirty, she has you know, like she's doing a lot. Mm-hmm. Like this is again on a, a you know, you you can we can quibble about some of the dialogue choices. That's not on her. Mm-hmm. Um but no, this is showing again, like from a technical level, very well-made movie. She's the best actor. She, I think she's the best actor in it. Uh, 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 you know, on the whole, I can't really say that Tommy Lee Jones is doing a better job when he's just being Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, I, there are, I want to like Tommy Lee Jones so much more, like, there's there'll be nothing he does in his career that's better than no country i think um but and and that is a that is a movie where he's essentially doing tommy lee jones is sick of being tommy lee jones um mm-hmm. but yeah like i would because i was never into those movies when i was younger um i think i don't have i didn't have as much of an appreciation for it um all right so it's the lightning round. Hooray. Um, it's a, it's a holodunce lightning round. Um, so as a kid, would you have rather played with the commando elites or the Gorgonites? So by this point in my life, I would have started going more towards the Gorgonites because you actually have like, again, and this feels like a very, like a, like a, like a, a, a very big sort of homage one of the Gorgonites, uh, Ocula, Oculus, Ocula. something like that. Ocula. Ocula. Looks like the monster from the trash compactor in Star Wars. Um, like it looks like the eye that searches around, which that is mm-hmm. a woman, by the way. That is a that is a female of, of that species in the trash compactor. Um, yeah. uh, so when people say that there aren't enough female characters in Star Wars, uh, th- there you go. Anyway, uh, no, by that point, like the, 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 the Gorgonites are, are, are cool. If I had been ten, I would have. It would have been Commando Elite. It would have been, um, actually, it probably would have been uh, either uh, Kip Killigan or like whoever uh, Jim Brown played, because that guy he was like Demolition or something, or he was uh, the Bazooka Carrier, I think, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, see, I would have as a kid. I did have a Gorgonite, and I loved the Gorgonites. I. Like, for being desensitized to violence, I wasn't into, like, violent play as a kid. I didn't like guns. And now, as an adult, like, I really don't like guns. Like, I'm getting to the age where all my friends are really into, like, going out to shooting ranges and stuff. And I'm just, like, I'm literally afraid to hold a gun. Oh, I mean, I've some yeah. of my, like, leftist friends are weirdly into going to shooting ranges. I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, like, I, I, I did I did riflery and stuff at summer camp. And, like, yeah, whatever. It's it's fine. Guns, yeah, guns but- are, meh. But I always have had a soft spot for monsters. I also think, frankly, Archer has, like, I think he has a great design. I think he's, like, the most handsome monster. Um, so, he's, yeah. He's, like, a prototype of the Avatar, like, the Navi. He is, yeah. I agree. Um, uh, also, I forget. Oh, it was Kip Killigan, voiced by Ernest Borgnine. I did like Kip Killigan a lot. Yeah. Yes. You Do you know the best? Have you ever seen the best interview with Kip Killer or with with Ernest Borgnine ever? No, I don't think so. So, okay, so um, everyone put the kids to bed. Um, Ernest Borgnine was uh, he was a fairly long lived man. I mean, he lived to like ninety into his nineties anyway. Um, and he was on a daytime talk show 
one time and and uh, uh, the whoever this whoever this the this sort of talking head was was talking to him and was like saying Ernest what is your secret for having such energy and living so well and and, and for and, you know and, and, and so healthily for so long and and Borgnine's like oh I, I I couldn't I couldn't possibly tell you I couldn't possibly tell you he's like no no please tell me and so he's like all right I, I, but I can't tell you on TV he's like, he's like okay just just whisper it and he goes in and whispers, but the microphone is still on. Mm-hmm. And he he whispers to the he he whispers to the to this interviewer, I masturbate every day. And and it's just like the most, it is just, it is just this sweet old man, this man who looks like who who just looks like sort of like a human raisin. Like he looks basically like Hans Moleman with a set of veneers. And like, and 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 like uh, just talking like you would never expect it. Then we're like, Wow. Okay. I don't think a lot of men in their eighties or nineties would 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 have the faculties to do that. So, like, good good for you. But like, yeah. Um, no, it's a, that. The, highly advise anybody watch that uh, and or basketball, which he's also in. Um, yes. Uh, Kids with your Zima and your video forever. games. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, all right. So, who is your favorite Gorgonite? Who is not Archer? So I, I I think I sort of already uh, I I think I sort of already uh, gave that one away with Ocula. Um, mm. Really 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 cool. Um, the one that I hate is is it insane? Is it is it Michael McKean's one that is like just he sh- yes won't shut up. It's insaniac. I think like that is where I I see the whole making it appealing to kids thing. I would describe him as Bugs Bunny esque, but not in a good way. He's just one. I would after, I would. Oh. Oh my god! I would beat that thing to death with a hammer. Um, mm-hmm. Like that thing's awful. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I think mine is a tie between Ocula and I will say Slam Fist. Even though um, Slam Fist, like I said, like I I found it. It really is just the last line. I hope we don't hit an iceberg. Which, first of all, mm-hmm. that is exactly what my father in law's accent sounds like. Um, secondly, uh, I just you know what. You don't need to throw in a reference to Titanic. You don't. You know. Well, but they did because because they needed to get to I think about thirty six movie references in this mm. movie, and they and that was and they were like, we, we have nothing else. We have nothing else. We got to do this. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Uh. Oh, and also I will give um. Uh. Freakenstein. I, I think his design was really really cool. Uh. So who's your favorite Commando Elite? Who is not Major Chip Hazard? So again, I mean, are there. All of the names, the Commando Elite have just the best names. Um, mm-hmm. Though I've said Ernest Borgnine with Kip Killigan, um, Jim Brown playing Butch Meathook, that great is name. just such a fucking great name. Like, like just, like, uh, that's a perfect, that's like, remember the TV show The Rippin' Friends? That might be a bit too Yes! I Butch do! Meathook, Butch Meathook would be their grandfather or something like that. Like that is such a great name. Um, mm-hmm. And no, just like a, just like a, like you, that's something that just sticks with you and is, and, and, and to your point of not being subtle, it's not mm-hmm. subtle, but it works. Yes. Um, so I, I liked Kip Kelligan's design a lot, um, but I will actually say 
Nick Nitro. I thought there was something really disturbing about his face. Um, and I especially then love the sequence where they pull his face, like the rubber off his face and stuff. Uh. But um, the kind of rictus grin he has, I really found that as a kid, very striking. So I'll go with Nick well, Nitro. It also sort of looks to me, at least sort of, again, Terminator Arnold Schwarzenegger, kind mm-hmm. of like that, that angular mean broad jawed narrow head thing is 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 very like that yeah. feels that feels that feels sort of just just sort of like the terminator to me uh speaking of terminator mitch martin just got a hat trick um so uh i know like was he why was he saving all his goodness for a game against the kraken like I have been a staunch Mitch Marner defender, not on the level of like our our dear friend Liz. Look for her episode uh, on Thursday, but uh, yeah, I even I have been around to defend Mitch Marner this season, and so good, good for him, good for her. Um, so, and I'm including voice cast in this. Who would you say is your MP, MVP of the cast besides Dunst? Okay, besides, I mean, it's got to be Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman actually has funny lines in the in, in, in the movie, which mm-hmm. there's a lot of attempted funny lines in the movie. Um, yes. But, but Hartman actually hasn't, although his wife, what is that actress's name? Um, oh, it starts with an S, I want to say, but I she's like... I I know it. I feel like I know what you're gonna say because that it's kind of a nothing role, and yet she makes it incredibly funny when she gets drugged and she's just kind of doing her thing. I like it a lot. No, um, it's that's that's uh, um, Wendy Wendy Shaw. She's mostly Shaw, done voice yes. work. Um, I wonder if she's related she, to Kristen Shaw at all, who is also a famous voice actor. I don't know. Um, a family of voice actors. Like, I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is one of those things where it's like I f- I feel like it, it, if there was like a, a hockey DB, not a hockey DB, a um an elite prospects of actors, we could find out who they're related to, um, and then you'd find out about who all the nepo babies are, like Nick yes. Cage. Um, but uh, um, no, she's just got a really wonderful delivery, like when she's drugged out and everything mm-hmm. from the sleeping pills. Which, by the way, that's what got them the, the PG thirteen rating. It wasn't even the violence; it was the um, the drugging and tying up of of her and, and Phil Hartman. Uh, okay, is what is what earned them the PG thirteen because like that was considered worse than violent yeah. shooting than shooting a corn cob holder into into a child's leg. um so i will also say though for including including voice actors i think it's a toss-up between hartman and frank langella um i think he he is archer and he gives it that wonderful gravitas that you want out of it um you know he's, he's serving up exactly what you want I will also actually give like kind of a bronze medal to Kevin Dunn, who plays uh, Stuart Abernathy. I think like he's one of those kind of stock actors who plays dads a lot. And I think oh, he's um, been in a million yeah. things. Yeah, it, it, often playing dads. Um, he's a great dad. And I think he's great in this role. Like he's the dad could have very well been a flat character. And I think a you know, I got it. I got to divert for a moment because I meant to write a note about this. Do you love the ending or hate the ending that everyone literally just gets paid off? Um, I like the ending because it 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 actually again sort of 
Chekhov's guns stuff at the beginning. Joe, the delivery driver, has that whole thing about, ah, these big box stores, we're all going to be owned by one company. And then it's like, yeah, and then you're owned by one company. You're just going to, you're going to sign your NDA. You're going to have, you're going to be made whole. Here's the money. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a very great capitalism takedown of like, oh, but we've suffered this. We've gone through this. No, you haven't. Here you go. I think the only thing that, and I can't fully articulate why, it does feel more like it would work on an episode of TV than a movie because I think it is almost an anticlimactic ending. But at the same time, it is a really, really biting ending. And what I love, and this is why Kevin Dunn's performance made me think of this, is because, you know, you have have Joe, the driver, saying, like, you know, kind of looking for his cut. He gets it. And then Phil Hartman escalates it. He gets his cut. He's happy. And then Kevin Dunn is so angry and his house is in like terrible shape. And you know, you it does kind of get set up that you think because he's Mr. Morals in this, that he's going to be the one to kind of take down Dennis Leary in some way. And then even he is bought off. I think that's a really good little scene. It is, well, especially because you got the, like, the, and did you take all the money out of the till? Yeah, both pennies and the quarter or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, there is that. He's a loser. Like, they're not doing yeah. well. Yeah, no, they're yeah. not doing well. Yeah. Um. So uh, where would you rank Dunst's performance in this movie compared to the rest of the cast? I.e. she's above X, but below Y. I, okay, I would say that she is above us. Well, okay, with the live action cast, she's mm-hmm. above everybody except for maybe Phil Hartman. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's so hard to compare, but like, you know, Chip Hazard is a great, like his his lines are terrific. Like he is doing, you know, Tommy Lee Jones, all the money he earned on that, you mm-hmm. know, he he. He did enough. Like it, it, it. He did enough. But I, I think, I think she's honestly, other than Phil Hartman, I think she's the best. Yeah, I would say, like in terms of the human roles, I would slot her just below Hartman and a pretty significant leap above Kevin Dunn, and that's kind of my top three. Um, so, where would you rank Dunn's performance uh, in this movie compared to the rest of her other work? So, in this movie, she's better than X, but worse than Y. Uh, okay, I, I sort of I, again like I I prefer to to, to the Spider Man films. Um, uh, uh, I prefer her in this to. I mean, again, it's 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 you're you're not gonna beat Drop Dead Gorgeous. You're not gonna beat um, Interview with the Vampire. Um, you know, but this is I this is an upper. I can't. I don't even know if I can say upper tier because she's actually done so much work. Like she's been in so many films. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, like, is this? Uh, did you like her in Marie Antoinette? Okay, I I'm gonna seem like an asshole. It's one of the only Kirsten Dunst movies I've never seen. Oh, okay, okay. I had no I, I, interest you know. in it when it came out. And then it's just a movie that I never thought about after. Um, so I would put this movie as uh, just above. Uh, I actually think it's just above Bring It On. Um, I love her in Bring It On. I think Torrance Shipman is a great character. But I feel like I wish Torrance Shipman had been a little more psycho. And so I think mm-hmm. this gives you gives you a little bit of the psycho. 
Um, and I think she is just below, um, just below Spider-Man because I'm I'm very pro Mary Jane uh, or vo- very pro uh, Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane. Um, for for the record, I do think her worst role uh, of this era was Mona Lisa Smile, uh, and she was fine in it. But man, that movie stinks! Like yeah. it was nice. she played some like a different character than she usually plays, but um, that movie stinks. Um, okay, if you could recast this today, who would be your major Chip Hazard voice, and who would be your Archer? Chris Pratt for both. Because that's all. <laughs> oh, that makes me so sad. It's funny. I forgot he was dead. I was gonna say George Coe for Archer, um, uh, well. because because I was thinking of the show Archer, um, and so that uh, that does make me really excited for my next question. Unless you have an actual answer. <laughs> oh, I mean, I can I can yeah. totally give I can totally give um, an, an actual. Uh, an actual answer here. Uh, I think he would go with like a, a Chris Cooper for Chip Hazard. Like I think that's. Oh, a, I love Chris Cooper. He's got the hair. I, and I think role. I think he could. Yeah, exactly. And he's also, and I know this because I have both a mom and a stepmom who are in their seventies. Catnip with ladies of that age. Um, Cat, which catnip with ladies of my age. Um, has yes. he ever played a good guy? Has Chris Cooper ever played a good guy? Uh, yeah, he's a good guy in Cars 3. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be shocked. I haven't have seen it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't. Don't. Ah, it's actually, it's got that cannibal in it. Um, Army Hammer, he's in it. Um, oh. yeah, anyway, um, in terms of who I would have play Archer, I'm a little conflicted because I think you can go a lot of different ways. Um, and I don't, I, I do want to, I, I guess one of the things that you, you kind of want to be mindful of, I think more today is how much do you want to make these characters? Cause like there is a bit of a, a, a of an imperialism. They're just trying to find their home angle. And mm-hmm. I would worry about maybe uh, steering into the controversy too much, depending on what your casting choices would be. Uh, but what I would say is a guy who I think is a good actor. I've seen him act in TV and movies in two different languages very well. Mm-hmm. And I think would be a completely non-problematic, but Steve Yoon. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's great in the Invincible TV show playing um, whatever that character's name is, Mark, whatever it is. Um, but he's great in, he's great in, uh, uh, I think he should leave. I, he's he did a pretty good role on The Walking Dead. Um, the Korean film that I saw him in Burning is fucking spectacular. Um, he is that movie. That movie is a great movie. I highly advise you watching it. Um, but uh, no, I, I think he would be able to give some sincerity, some severity to a role like that, like. Steve Yoon would be a, a completely safe choice for me. I will say you? something this, you know, I, I hadn't settled on anyone. And because I was thinking like, do, would I want to go in the same direction? Would I want to go in a different direction? And one of the voices that I did start to think of for Major Chip Hazard, and then I thought, I don't think he has the gravitas for Major Chip Hazard himself, but maybe another commando elite because he has that, now that he's older and a little gruffer and maybe sounds a little more exhausted, 
Stephen Root. I think Stephen Root, uh, now that he sounds much older, I think. Did would you make ever a- watch Barry? No, no, I, it's one of those like, God damn it, I have to watch Barry. Like, yeah, yeah. You, Barry, Barry, he's he's not Chip Hazard in Barry, but if you mm-hmm. watch Barry, your your argument is very. Uh, that's a very good choice. That's a that's a very good choice. Yeah, uh, but I hadn't settled on anyone for Archer because, like I said, I got all hopped up on George Coe and then found out he's dead, and he's been dead a while. I just entirely forgot that. But that did make me think of my next question, which is speaking of Archer, I had a lot of fun with this question. Let's just say we're making a role, uh, we're remaking this and H. John Benjamin is available for either a voice or a live action uh, role. Who do we have in play? So, um, I mean, this is a tough one because I think there's a lot of, you actually have a, a lot of choices he could take dennis leary's role in a heartbeat Mm -hmm. he could also be phil hartman in a bit of a it would just be much more of a deadpan with phil hartman it wouldn't be as it wouldn't be as smarmy um but i think where i'd really want to see him is i think that he could do you know I, i think he could do like if you were to amalgamate David Cross and Jay Moore's character. Yeah. I think you could have just this guy who's very bright, but like over the bullshit. If you kind of made a composite character that has to like figure this out, you have to find a different way of like, he sends the toy designs out and mm-hmm. then they put the chips in and he's not responsible. Like that's, that's also a part of why this movie, there are so many balls in the air in this movie. Yeah. I, I did settle on like him playing like the David Cross role, just a different version of it. Um, I think, I think you tend to think of H. John Benjamin as one of two things for voices. You either think of him as Bob or Archer. And I think of him more as Bob. Uh, but it's also that when you see him as an actor in person, he is more of a Bob. He is not an Archer whatsoever. Um, but he, um, like, I just think of him in that skit where he learns to, quote unquote, play the jazz, pi- or he makes a jazz piano album. And just that I do not play the piano at all. And there's something about the exasperation and the resignation in that, that I'm just like, that is someone that I would believe is a beleaguered, mid-level, like R- R&D kind of designer for a toy company. Um, I could also see him as as the father character, as Kevin Dunn's character, but a much more sad version. Um, funny sad. Um, final question. That, that, yeah. that might make it better, actually, if it was more sad. He's not, yeah. he's sort of just like, he's he's got like the 80s go-getter mentality, but like, it's mm. only his son who thinks he's pathetic. More people should think he's pathetic. Anyway. He is pathetic. He's very pathetic. His name is Stuart. Um, so now your child, as you said, your elder child is four years old. If he expressed uh, any interest in this movie, which we've already seen, he has an interest in Star Wars. Good job. At what age would you let your child watch this movie? <sighs> that is a tough question because I feel like there's so much... Like, I feel like I have to get him to watch a movie where things like cell phones and, like, technology doesn't really exist that much. That's also, true. He's going to have questions. Also, I, I feel, again, I kind of feel like I saw this movie at a great, 
my own period of, of, of my life. Cause like I'd already seen Terminator. I'd already seen all these different things that made sense. Um, men in black had already come out. So like, so like Tommy Lee Jones was a draw for me for some reason. Um, I honestly, I think about like 10, cause the movie's long. The movie's not short. The movie's like an, it's more than an hour and a half. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And there is some violence. Um, yeah, like nine or 10. Yeah, I, I was nine. I was nine when I watched this, and I feel like it was fine. But my parents were incredibly permissive, and I grew up mainlining Bugs Bunny, so I'd already seen The Shining at this point. And, and it, well, and I was about to say, and again, it's boiling the frog. Like, like I had already watched so many things that I should, I definitely should not have at that age. But like, mm. kids back then were more, were less coddled that way. I'm not trying to be like a an old man about this, but like. We were exposed to things that we shouldn't have been, um, mm-hmm. you know, from a child psychology standpoint earlier. So, like, yeah, a nail gun and flamethrowers and, and and chainsaw skateboard, fuck yeah, um, are not going to have as much of a are, are not going to have. I had to I, I had to no sell that one. There we go. Um, are not going to have as much of an effect. Whereas, like, like uh, I've put on stuff for Gabe that is like meant for like, you know, that's got like a like a an age eight rating on it or whatever and mm-hmm. like he's scared of that and i'm like dude this is this is soft like i get that you're four but this is soft got it boil your kid all right so um to conclude our thoughts on small soldiers we do need to determine how this age we've talked about some of the things that have not aged well but i would like to talk about things about this movie that have aged well so whether it's socially in terms of the movie style yeah, I mean, uh, first off, I'd say uh, Kirsten Dunst still looks great. She's like, what, in her early 40s now? Um, yeah. She's aged great. Um, you know, so there's that's that's one thing. I, I think I, I think uh, something that has aged, uh, the soundtrack has actually aged pretty terrific. Like that's, oh, yeah. that is, like that was, that is basically all killer, no filler. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh this might be one of the least obnoxious Dennis Leary movies. Um, yes, you know, and 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 like, yeah, I think I think those would be those would be the big the big things for me. What about what are, what are you thinking of? Because uh, I'm sure you've got something. Well, so for one thing, I think one of the things that has aged well is the commentary on toys influencing the way we act, and I feel like. I sometimes feel like I'm taking crazy pills uh, regarding the Barbie movie because, yes, I liked Barbie, but it's really funny how easily bought by it everyone was. It's like, I am going to buy a Barbie because now I they are subversive and feminine. It's like, it's still a movie to sell you something. It is still yeah, you, a movie got, to you sell hoodwinked. you something. You got hoodwinked. Yeah. Mattel is laughing. You're, you've bought your third ticket and Mattel is laughing. Um, but wow. yeah, so I think I think some of that commentary, as much as it's, you know, I would have liked to see it be more biting. Again, would have loved to see Joe Dante's full version of this. Um, I think that's aged very well. I also think this is kind of adjacent to aging well. Like I said, I used to think this was like a capital B bad movie. I thought it was a Batman Forever type, like, let's laugh at Mm -hmm. this movie. And one of the things I used to say is poor Phil Hartman, this being his last role. 
You know what? This is actually an awesome last role for him. He was so well cast and he is doing what Hartman does best. So I actually think it's wonderful that this movie is immortalized as Hartman's last role because you can look at it and think like, man, like this, uh, this makes me really sad when I say like, it's a great showcase of what he could do. But it also made me think last night I had this melancholy thought of if he lived, like, when would he have made his turn into, like, the serious movies? Because you could totally see him going that way and doing, like, a angsty dramatically. Because he was famously a very, like, private and very angsty man. And so, like, I don't know. It I it makes me miss him a lot. I say this as though I knew him. Um, but I think it's actually a great last role for him. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's terrible that it's a last role. But... It shows you how even in a movie that is not, because I think most people know him from either news radio or The Simpsons, but I think what it is is like, yeah, even a movie that isn't The Simpsons, even something that's not The Simpsons, the touchstone comedy of the 1990s, um, he can do great things. I think that's, I think that's a very fair, I think that's a very fair statement. And, and, uh, Sort of, sort of branching off on, on I, I had this thought, what, what you'd said a little earlier. One thing that really held, holds up with this movie is how prescient the notion of like the big box store is. Like we used mm-hmm. to have, you know, we used to have mom and pop stores and now everything is, you know, Christ, every day there's a package from Amazon. Okay, I sound like an old dad now. Um, but You like, are an old dad. I, I Well, I'm, I'm a dad. I'm not old. Thank you. Um, uh, uh but uh, you know, there's there is an element of 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 whimsy and like, oh no, this toy store sucks. Like that was being said in the '90s. That's only held up more and more. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I, I think that's something. Point out, uh, just as rest in piss, Henry, Henry Kissinger, uh, Mastermind Toys just filed for bankruptcy. So take that which, big box. Yeah, which is which, but. That's also a shame because, like, I get a lot of my kids' toys from the one that is, like, really close to me, so. It is certainly a better toy store than, like, a Toys R Us, but, um, uh, yeah, like, that's, well, but Toys R Us in Canada did not, so they're, Mm. they're, it was spun off, um, Oh, you can take the market. You can take the girl out of the marketing magazine. Um, but, uh, yeah, I will also add one final thing that I think, has aged well, but in more in the sense of like, I feel like we need more movies like this because this ended up being semi-marketed to kids. I will consider it a kid's movie. Um, and I think kids' movies need more of this level of cynicism. Um, I, I don't see enough cynicism in movies aimed at kids or even tweens and teens. You know, I, I've said a lot, and this is my turn to sound like a boomer, but I have said so much on this show that like, it does feel like anything directed at young people now has to moralize and take a moral stance. And we all have to stand around and say, like, this is why what this person did was bad. Um, and like, that's why that I think if anything, I didn't like the ending and everyone getting bought off when I was a kid. But I actually really like it in 2023 because I don't see endings like that anymore. Like, if you like I feel like the 2023 version of this would had to have seen Globotech get theirs and Dennis Leary get his and stuff. And this is literally like, I'm buying you off. I'm buying you off. I'm buying you off. And now I'm going to send these things to South America to kill people. Yeah, now I'm going to fund the Contras in South America. Yeah, it's pretty it's, it's it, that is such a grim ending. 
rest in Pissinger, Henry Kissinger. It all comes back to that. Um, all right. So, Mike, thank you for being with us on this special holiday episode of Tales from the Rec Room. If you want to once again plug where thank we can stalk and argue me. with you. Thank you. Uh, where we can stalk and argue with you online. Do it now. Yeah. Um, by Mike Stevens on Twitter and just Mike Stevens on uh, Blue Sky. Um, and that's Stevens with a V, right? Uh, no, it's spelled the correct <laughs> way with a PH. There you go. Uh, and uh, as for me, I've been your host, Bree Rohde. You will not find me on, I don't even have my Twitter account anymore. Can you believe it? I, I broke off. I stopped chasing the unicorn. But you can find me on Blue Sky, which I believe I pronounce like Blueski, uh, at Prune Tracy, or follow this podcast at Rec Room Tales. I think this podcast also still has a Twitter account. Uh, tomorrow, our pal Patrick Hamilton is joining us back in Action Town with a look at Spider-Man 2. Until then, take it easy and Rest in Passenger, Henry Kessinger. Let's have a kiki.